podcasting from Nashville Guitar Store in the heart of Music City, USA. Bringing you inspiration, education, and behind-the-scenes stories from prominent guitarists and others influential in the music profession. Sharing tales of their history, discussing guitars, their gear, their work, what's on tap for the future, and delivering wisdom we'll all appreciate. I sure wish I'd kept my first guitar. That's how it all started. It was that single guitar lick that made the song. I love playing out, but it's good to be home. Collaboration with these great writers inspires me and blows me away. Your host is Marcia Ware, nationally recognized radio personality, singer, actor, and author. Tom Hemby is our guest today. He has lived and worked in Nashville since 78. Mm -hmm. I don't think we have enough time to talk about every single person you've worked with, but hitting the highlights, Amy Grant, Michael W., Vince Gill, Peter Cetera, Winona, John Cicada, B.J. Thomas, Donna Summer. You've written with Faith Hill, Dionne Warwick. Your roster is so is, is as varied yeah. as Nashville itself. Yeah. Thank you for stopping by and making sure. time. It's an honor to be here. Well, I need you to settle a bet for me. or yeah, <laughs> Not really a bet. I have friends from Sykeston. Oh! Yeah. And they are bound and determined to get the whole world to call it Missouri. <laughs> so is it Missouri or Missouri? Because you're from Poplar Bluff, right? I am. Now, i got to tell you, it's always been Missouri for me. Okay, see? I, it just depends on where you're from. They yeah. are convinced that the whole state says Missouri. <laughs> no. I, I usually, you know, especially in the southeast part of, of Missouri, as I say, <laughs> Uh, I I usually don't account, encounter that too much. Missouri seems to be kind of a thing. I've always been tagged for like the northwest yeah. corner of, of Missouri. So yeah. Know, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, back in 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 Missouri, as mm -hmm. it were. Yeah. Um, that's where you got your start. That's where you, mm -hmm. is your family. Your parents are they still with us? Are they still uh, there? My mother uh, passed away about. Almost five years ago. So. Okay. But my dad just turned 87. So, and you and your, I'm going to turn into fangirl here for a second. <laughs> your brother, your brother is truly like vocal gold. He, <laughs> when I uh, heard this year's model, and mm -hmm. I was an Imperials fan, you know, mm -hmm. did the Rust Half season yeah. and, and the Paul Smith season. And right in there was that great little funky moment in yeah. uh, the late 80s, early 90s, right. where this year's yeah. model uh -huh. and Free the Fire. Free the and fire, and yeah. so were, were you and, and your brother, were you guys the only um, musicians in the family or were your parents? My, well, our parents both were, you know, they, they were just kind of novice. You know, they, mm -hmm. my, my father loved bluegrass music, he played yeah. acoustic guitar and sang yeah. a lot of bluegrass songs. My mother, she loved uh, church music stuff and kept us in church all the time, you yeah. know. And, and, Good boys. Uh, yeah, and so... Uh, yeah, I kind of grew up in a, a very eclectic uh, background, you know, between country bluegrass, gospel, and then, of course, I kind of ventured into the pop and jazz and R&B yeah. world through the years, you know. So you came to Nashville in 78. How long did it take for you to kind of jump into the deep end? Well, you know, I, my story is a kind of an exception to the rule because when I uh, first moved here, I'm probably one of the very few musicians that actually had a gig waiting on them when I when I got here. So actually at the time, uh, my my wife, we had been married just a, a year and a half. And I was living in central Illinois where she was from and mm -hmm. and I had gone to an Imperials concert in Lincoln, Illinois. And uh, Now which which uh, version of the Imperials? That was the, the Rust Half Days. And that, that evening uh, some friends of mine and, and from a local group there, they I was talking with them. They said, 
hey, you might want to talk to these guys because I hear they're looking for a guitar player for the band. So, so I stuck around and I went and approached Armin Morales, who was the group leader at the time, and and, uh, and said, hey, are you guys looking for guitar players? He's like, well, do you play? And I, well, yeah. <laughs> Long story short, they had me to audition. Now, here's here's a kind of a unique thing about the audition too was mm-hmm. James Hallahan who was playing bass at the time and the guy that was leaving uh, John Luch was the guitar player so James was trying to make a decision whether he wanted to be stay or remain on bass or move over to guitar so uh, I had actually been playing because I, I had done guitar and bass both in my early years mm-hmm. and so when I auditioned for the gig they had me to audition on bass and guitar and when they hired me uh, they hired me that night, and I and I didn't know for two weeks till I moved to Nashville that I was going to be playing bass or guitar till James could make up his mind. <laughs> we got to get him in here. I'll tell you what, that is something. <laughs> Let me backtrack just a little bit. Can okay. you remember the first time you ever picked up a guitar? Uh, well, I don't even remember exactly the first time. I can tell you within you know, well, growing up around my dad, he always had a guitar. There's no telling yeah. exactly right. when I just may have picked it up and messed around. How with old him, were but, you? Were you little? Or? Well, you know, I got. I, I can back up and tell you this, that when I was seven years old, my dad gave me, uh, he had a little tenor banjo, I remember he, he put my hands at it, tuned like a mandolin, and so I, I kind of strummed on that thing for a week, and I was just I was obsessed with playing, <laughs> so he, he came up with this little cheap mandolin he got, got for me and to play on for a while, and then later on, he bought me a nice little Gibson mandolin. I played mandolin, you know. Till I was probably around ten years old, and then when my hands started getting big enough, I could reach around a guitar neck, you know, and that's yeah. when I kind of started making a transition to guitar. And then um, uh, when I was, you know, probably ten or eleven years old, I heard what I thought was two guitar players playing one time, and I thought, man, those guys are good. And I found out those guys were actually one guy, and it was Chet Atkins. So I became totally obsessed with, you know, fingerstyle guitar in the days, just learning to play like Chet, just sit there for hours, drop the needle on the on the record, you know, and trying to pick this stuff out. I envy kids these days because now they have the internet, you know, you can go on YouTube and somebody's sitting right there in front of you can yeah, tell you how to do it. that's true. You know, I used to have to sit there and, and try to figure out, now how did he actually do that, <laughs> you know, just by dropping a needle on a disc and listening and Peter Frampton said something very similar to that when when uh, he was recording with the Funk Brothers because Motown when he inducted the Funk Brothers into the Musicians Hall of Fame one of the things he he said was he used to lay literally lay on the the stereo speaker Mm -hmm. and just kind of dissect what Eddie Willis and and what um, Robert White. Oh, Robert White. Robert yes. White. What yes. he would, he would just sit there and sure. like like just do the same mm-hmm. thing. Just listen, right. literally laying on the on the speaker, and that's how he <laughs> that's how he did it. So uh, I've always been curious as to you know who who influences yeah. the people that influence <clears throat> others mm-hmm. because you are definitely someone who influences others. So Chet Atkins obviously is one influence. Who else were you listening to back then? Or was once you started getting in, in involved in guitar, yeah. who were you listening well, to? Well, you know, in those early days it was it was Chet Atkins and then his protege, then protege Jerry Reed, who was a who yeah. was a crazy wacky get funky yeah. uh nylon string guitar player. I I was really into those guys for you know a period of time, and then but but then I remember there was this one cat that came on the scene that uh, he had, ended up in 1968 with a summertime show and and could sing like a bird. I'm like this guy Glenn Campbell, and I loved to hear him play and sing, and I was in, very heavily influenced by him. And and then through the years, you know, it's been 
it's been a very fortunate thing for me. It's just kind of a full circle thing that I ended up. I've actually worked on six different records for him over the years now. So okay, so the first time walking in, there's Lynn Campbell. What's your thought? Can you remember first time? Well, I have to admit I was starstruck. Because yeah, just yeah. Remember as a kid, I was just, just I idolized this guy. Yeah. You know, I mean, the first single I ever bought in my life was Wichita Lineman. You yes. Know? Yeah. Did you ever see his documentary? I'll be me. I have. And yeah. for the listeners, if you have not seen yeah. it and you have Netflix. Go, go, go right now, yeah, because it is yeah. good stuff. I've probably watched it two or three times. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating stuff. And I love that they dealt with, you know, obviously his condition, mm -hmm. but also just his, not the salacious stuff of his life, just the, the, the nuts and bolts and the meat of the, right. the musician and the man. Yeah. And that was, that I, I really, truly yeah. uh, appreciated that. Uh, so would you consider yourself self-taught? I'm very much self-taught. Yeah. Okay. So I, uh, I've i been a, a student of many different people by just listening and observing. And, uh, you know, I grew up in a small town in southern Missouri, and mm -hmm. there's only 850 people. And my dad showed me a few chords of the guitar, and I just kind of took it from there. But, you know, I, there was so much uh, influences uh, eclectically that I've had, you know, aside from the finger-style thing early on. But, you know, then... Uh, then all of a sudden you got a factory in these four lads from Great Britain, the yeah. Beatles, you know, everybody was, when they came on the scene, you know. Like, and then uh, when I was in, you know, my uh, mid-teenage years, you know, I uh, I heard this crazy great guitar sound on a record one time. I'm like, man, that is so good. That's Those overdriven tones are so nice and thick, and he's playing these really fluid lines and just fast, and it was just, just so full, and... And it turned out to be Terry Kaff from Chicago. I who, loved, yeah. yeah that, and and so him. he was, you know, early on, very heavily influenced by what he did, too, you know, so. I, I, I thought mm. it was interesting when they got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall thing. Yeah. One of them said that Terry Kath was the one of the most underrated guitarists in the industry. Oh, I believe uh, across that. Across the board. Yeah. And let's get into gear. Because you play so many different styles, mm -hmm. is your setup elaborate? Are you a gearhead? I've gone through all kinds of different phases through life. You know, mm -hmm. uh, at, at this point, I'm 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 more of the mindset of keep it simple. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but but you know, I mean, back uh, I was guilty of, as any uh, musician back in the '80s, or especially studio musicians, of guys having just walls of rat gear. Yeah. You know, and running your guitar through all this process stuff and. I was telling somebody the other day, I wish I could just go back and apologize for everything you played on in the 80s. <laughs> yeah, the 80s, we can never be that cheesy ever again. We're never allowed. I'm, I'm hoping not. We own it. But see, that's the beautiful thing about our generation. We own the 80s. Now, um, as far as uh, keeping it simple, I know that you know technology can be your friend. Sure. So is there anything that's... Um, do you kind of keep your eye out for things that are new, or do you kick it old school? Well, it's a combination of the two. I mean, if I see something that is uh, unique in function and sound and mm -hmm. something's different and like I feel like it can add to the arsenal, well, you know, I'm glad to jump all over it, you know. But but at the, at the same time, there are so many different distortion boxes. It's like, oh, my gosh, you just there's just hundreds and hundreds of different uh, yeah. companies that are making, you know, different distortion boxes. When it's all done and said... Most guys who have an ear will take probably any of those boxes and and you'll sit down and you'll mess with it till you get what you want to get out of it anyway, which mm -hmm. is you can make box A say like box B to mm -hmm. box E yeah. <laughs> a lot of times, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So but but there are 
don't get me wrong, I'm not downplaying the uh, uh, the value of great tone from any of these companies. I'm sure that they all have some unique uh, mm -hmm. things, but uh, but by and large, you know, uh, it, at the end of the day, I think it's all about what the player does with it himself. You yeah. know, and and yeah. uh, we had a guest in here talking about uh, how it's ninety percent technique and only 10% equipment. Yeah, I, I would say that. Yeah, Absolutely. Said you know? that. Yeah. I and I and I agree with that because it's kind of like a singer who relies on vocal gymnastics to mm -hmm. bring a, a song to life and I like to refer to those things as the special sauce. It's not special right. if you're bringing it every 5 minutes. Right. And right. so every 5 seconds. Every 5 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> Nowadays it's more like every 5 seconds. But with yeah. guitarists it seems to me like bigger better faster louder right let's find pedals let's find you know all kinds right. of stuff and the ones that find the most satisfaction in their craft are the sure. ones that they keep it pretty simple well you know i mean for instance i mean i'll hear some speed demon guitar player just just riffing like crazy and it's and it's usually fantastic but sometimes what usually moves my soul is hear some cat like larry carlton just nice one nice really thick tone bend yeah. note just kind of wavering a little bit you know like, just let oh, it hang yeah. there yeah that's that's feeding my soul and we'll have more with tom hemby after a quick break here at nashvilleguitarstore.com i'm marcia ware at nashvilleguitarstore.com paying full price for guitars is a thing of the past like dial up internet You'll find Epiphone, Fender, Gretsch, Ibanez, Taylor, and lots more. What you won't find is the big box store prices. Get yourself a killer guitar at a fraction of the retail price at NashvilleGuitarStore.com. NashvilleGuitarStore.com I can count on you from Tom Hemby and a noteworthy slate of artists, Amy Grant, Michael McDonald, Melinda Doolittle, just to name a few, from his 2010 CD, In the Moment. We'll get more from him musically in our second half. I'm Marcia Ware, and you are at NashvilleGuitarStore.com. So, um, as far as songwriting goes, mm -hmm. what's your favorite guitar to write with? You know, I don't know if I necessarily have a favorite guitar to write with. There's some things that inspire me to play, you know, depending on the tone and the mm -hmm. feel and stuff, you mm -hmm. know. And But uh, uh, actually, 
as far as sitting around and just uh, playing a, an acoustic guitar that that really just makes you go in different directions and things you had play things you hadn't thought about doing is uh, I, I love my McPherson guitars that Matt yeah. McPherson, but I love those guitars you know and then at the same time I have you know this little uh, parlor Martin guitar that it's like man this, this thing is so cool it's so intimate you know it's yeah just, you know different guitars just make you play different ways and yeah it's just totally depends on what kind of mood you're in and for you know yeah. so. who's influencing you now wow that's that's a great great question you know it's just like a, I feel like I'm kind of an old and callous guy now but <laughs> <laughs> but you know there are certain players that have come on the scene the last few years that uh, that uh, you know have just kind of blown my mind with with their technique I tell you I gotta I gotta say that uh, this cat from the UK Guthrie Govan that guy is just no, I'm not familiar with him yeah he's, just, he's a shredder but he, it's just he is so tasty and so got so much great technique and tone that yeah. it's ridiculous you know I love, I love to hear him and watch him play, you know, yeah. he's very, very good, you know, so, but, uh, and, but I still, um, you know, I'm still moved by guys I've known for years, some guys are good friends of mine, like Larry and Steve Lukather, yeah. love what they do, and have always been inspired by uh, what, what they do, and, and, and they're still, you know, a lot of those guys are still doing it, and it's always still uh, something that moves my soul when I hear, you know, and that's so. cool, and then there's, you know, there's, Great cats like Tommy Emanuel too. That's mm -hmm. just that's come on the scene. That's very entertaining on the acoustic guitar mm -hmm. and plays great stuff. And, but you know, I'm I'm always moved by uh, players that not that are not so much moved by chops. You know, I, okay. I, I like though Guth, Guthrie may be an exception to that, but the composition level is always mm -hmm. you know a factor for me, and Guthrie has that as well, and and. Uh, I just I love instrumental stuff that has depth to it. Mm -hmm. You know, instead of just writing something to feature how many how many licks I can throw out here. Yeah, I like something that's in your head. You know, it's just like it's it's going someplace. Mm -hmm. and it's, it's going to take you somewhere that you hadn't been before, and just and move your soul with beautiful progressions and that kind of thing. Those are the kind of things I really latch into you know so, that's yeah, amazing yeah. which is actually a great segue to my next question because you had a project that came out uh, a few years back uh, in the moment mm -hmm. and yeah. you have some real tasty instrumentals yeah. on there uh -huh. and what was it um, the necessary blonde and yeah. big bang deal yeah. I want I want to talk actually and oh and I uh, count on you that one actually is kind of an all-star choir but I'll get yeah. to that in a second the thing okay. that struck me and I don't know how close I am but one of my favorite albums coming out of college was Surfing with the Alien, uh -huh. Joe yeah. Satriani. Yeah. And when I listen to your stuff, I get a real Satriani yeah. vibe. Yeah. Not, not in, in, it just it just takes me there. It's not yeah. a, oh, he's ripping. Can you tell me a little bit more about that CD? Just like, first of all, the title, The Necessary Blonde. I'm just curious as to what that was about. Well, I'm as curious as you are because that's, that's, not, that's not one of my compositions. That was, that was actually uh, written by uh, uh, this bassist, uh, Gary Willis of, ah. of Tribal Tech. And uh, so I'd, I'd heard that song on one of the records and I just, I just like, you know, it was one of those things, like I mentioned, you know, the, the progressions are so unique and so complicated. They just, just, pulls me into it you know so I was like when I when I was doing my record I was like man I gotta do a cover of this I, I love this, this particular tune you yeah. know it's just so interesting musically you know and it challenges you mm -hmm. 
I want to just take a moment and play maybe a good 30 seconds of this so you guys can hear this. This is The Necessary Blonde yeah. of Tom Hemby. Your greatest challenge is now as an artist? Well, the whole music thing. It's just constantly reinventing yourself to what music is today and, and how it's recorded and how it's produced mm -hmm. and how it's, how it's composed and what have you. You know, it's just uh, with technology, you know, as it is, it's, just, it's afforded a lot of people mm -hmm. to become kind of uh, recording savvy, you know, so mm -hmm. <clears throat> which has. In a way, it's good in a way, and I love the fact that technology has made it simpler, and you can have uh, the same sounding quality of a record that you, for a fraction of the cost of what it used to cost, you know, to have mm -hmm. all the gear from years ago back in, you know, mm -hmm. you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, and all that stuff. You know, you had to have a million dollars worth of gear yeah. to make a great sounding record. Now yeah. it's just all virtual stuff, a computer. It's amazing what you can do. Now, the challenge uh, is for me and, and many other guys like myself that have been studio musicians, because of this whole influx of technology, you know, I think feel like it's really cut into uh, the whole recording scene, you know, as yeah. far as studio musicians and stuff so many people are doing things at home mm -hmm. that coupled with the fact that uh, uh, streaming certainly has is, is not doing any favors to the arts at all you know when you have to have almost a thousand spins on a on a, some streaming service to make a penny yeah uh, yeah there's something real real unjust about that you know it's just the fact is the recording business is just not what it once was, you know, uh, 15, 20 years ago. It's cut heavily into sales. I know that uh, I saw some statistics one time um, from uh, this dated back to 1999, which was started to be the downward trend in music business sales, but mm -hmm. 1999, there was $26 billion generating retail sales in the U.S. Ten years later, in 2009, it was literally half that, $13 billion. When you've Cut things in half. I mean, that's that's pretty much across the board for everybody. So that means work has really gone in half at that yeah. point. You know, and I mean, it's just just the nature of of uh, the trickle down effect. Yeah. So um, so yeah, everybody's constantly uh, looking to reinvent themselves these days, and that's why 
aside from playing guitar and, and playing live dates and, and what have you, I mean, I also, you know, I've been producing records for a long time anyway, and I program a lot of records, mm -hmm. you know, just from the ground up, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. with, with the use of the, the new software technology and stuff, and so I'm able to, you know, keep things going by doing that, but it takes, it takes it all these days, you know, yeah. it's like, to think that I'm just going to make a living as an electric guitar player or an acoustic guitar player, nah, it's gone way by the wayside. So. I'll tell you that the, uh, it seems to me that the people that I've spoken to mm -hmm. that play guitar, if they want to make a living as a guitar mm -hmm. player, they're basically doing the rounds. Yeah. They're right. on Lower Broadway. They are. They're playing in sure. clubs. They're that's sure. that's their outlet. Yeah. It's it's. I tell I mean, you, you see guys touring on the road these days. Uh, you know that back in the eighties and nineties, that were just guys booking. You know every week on double scale sessions and uh, mm -hmm. wouldn't even think about going on the road who are now out on the road these days yeah you know, so yeah. it's a necessary pain yeah well how can we find out more about you i know you have a facebook page and there is tom uh i almost, I almost called you ron tom uh -huh. and anything mm -hmm. else uh, out there in uh you know i'm I sh i'm not quite as uh uh, media savvy, savvy as I should be. So I have so, no, I have Facebook, and I I, I can't even tell you the last time I tweeted anything. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, you know, I used to have one of those MySpace accounts years ago. I haven't, oh, been, yeah, yeah. I haven't been on it in years. I don't know if it exists. I, <laughs> <laughs> you have to Google it to see if it's there. <laughs> so it's uh, you know it's, it's usually Facebook for me or uh, you know email you know. Who are you touring with right now? Are you well, I'm not really touring with anybody, okay. I, and I haven't really touring with anybody in quite some time. Yeah. You know, it's just. Uh, I, is I that a good thing, or just time with family? Well, yeah, it's it's a good thing, yeah. you know. So that means that I'm uh, able to stay here in town and still stay busy somehow, working, you know, and yeah. stuff. But I'm not opposed to doing a tour with somebody if it's the right situation. All right, y'all heard it. Y'all got a tour. <laughs> Mr. Hemby is available. There you go. <laughs> now, um, are you doing anything in the studio right now? It's quite an eclectic thing that I do. Uh, I just actually just finished uh, co-producing a project with uh, producer Michael O'Marty and, mm -hmm. and uh, dear friends. I love that guy. He's so talented. Well, I have to tell you, this has been such a treat for me. Uh, but before we wrap things up, it's time to play. Uh, just to, let's delve okay. into a little bit of lunacy here. Right. This is my my audio Rorschach test, if you will. <laughs> uh, it's called Take Your Pick. Just okay. a few quick questions. Don't overanalyze. Don't right. overthink. But Beatles or Stones? Beatles. Strings, tens or elevens? Tens. Peanut butter, smooth or chunky? Smooth. <laughs> and I like the way, smooth. <laughs> uh, 80s hair, bring it back or leave it where it is? I'll leave it where it is. All right. Amps, fenders or marshals? Marshall. Uh, 4 a.m., get up or go to bed? <sighs> Go to bed. <laughs> that, that, yeah, I gotta tell you, that question, whenever I ask it, they stop in their tracks. They have to think about it for a second. Nope, go to bed. Still yeah. go to bed. Well, it was actually 3 a.m. before I got to bed this morning. So. <laughs> uh, playing live or playing in the studio? Studio. Toilet paper, over or under? Over. <laughs> now, is this a conflict with you, with you and the missus? Nah. Yeah, you, I'm you easy rule. on that one. Okay. <laughs> if I got a choice. <laughs> Clapton or Carlton? Ooh, that's not fair. <laughs> I love both those guys. Oh, gosh. Well, I love Larry. He's my friend. Jeff Beck or Brian May? Wow, that's another <laughs> tough one. Love, I mean, that's, wow. 
Oh well, okay. I'll have to. I'll have to gear it by this. I probably own more Jeff Beck records. Okay, and finally, is there a favorite guitar riff that once you hear it, you're like, oh, love that. Wow, a favorite, something iconic. That yeah. I wish that, well, you can't beat that Joe Walsh looking life in the fast lane. So. <laughs> love it's the, love it's the got English. everything. It's got yeah. the rock. It's got the soul. Yeah. Tom, thank you so much. This has been a real treat. Hope I didn't get too fangirl on you, but we have really loved having you here. Well, thank you, Marcia, and thank you, NashvilleGuitarStore.com. Dedicated to bringing you inspiration, education, and behind-the-scenes stories from prominent guitarists and others influential in the music profession. To hear more, subscribe to the Nashville Guitar Store podcast in iTunes. Go to NashvilleGuitarStore.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram. 